Obviously, you've come to the Leading Saints podcast because you love podcasts and you love consuming content in this manner, uh, listening to a pre-recorded conversation or interview or presentation. And we get a lot of good stuff here, but nothing compares to an in-person retreat experience. This is one thing I've learned in the last few years that we are infusing into our Leading Saints content is the need for in-person experiences, also known as retreats. So Leading Saints has started putting on retreats, both for men, women. We're going to play around with couples retreats and we'll try it all. But retreats are a transformational experience. And I implore you to go check out leadingsaints.org slash gathering, where we list all of the upcoming retreats. Some are open to register. Others, you can get on a waiting list. But we would love to have you at the next in-person retreat. Now, if you can't afford it, if there may be, if you price out of these opportunities, don't worry. We have very generous donors willing to put up money for scholarships. So either go there, check it out, register, or apply for a scholarship. And we'd love to have you the next Gathering Saints retreat put on by Leading Saints. So go to leadingsaints.org slash gathering to check out the upcoming Gathering Saints retreats. Hey, if you're a newbie to Leading Saints, it's important that you know, what is this Leading Saints thing? Well, Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And the way we do that is through content creation. So we have this phenomenal podcast, we have a newsletter, we have virtual conferences, so much more. And articles on our website, I mean, I could go on and on, right? <laughs> And we encourage you to uh, jump in, check out Leading Saints, uh, go to the search bar at leadingsaints.org and type in some topics and see what pops up. We're just glad you're here to join us. Ryan Godfordson, welcome back to the Leading Saints podcast. Hey, it's always a, a good day when I've got Kurt Frankham in my life. So oh, thank go you. On. Go on. <laughs> so we're... Usually we try and do these things in person, but we're remote today. You've published a, a book in the last few months, and uh, I definitely want to make sure we we jumped on here and, and talked about it. We actually sort of did a introduction to these concepts as you were in the midst of writing this book, but now it's published and out in the world, and how's the world receiving it? Yeah, I enjoyed our conversation before, and that's that's a big change between that one and this one. So the, the book is called The Elevated Leader, Level Up Your Leadership Through Vertical Development. And it's introducing this concept of vertical development into the world. It's a concept, it's a fairly new term. The term has been around for about 10 years, but the research behind it has been around for 50 plus years. And so it's now getting out into the world. And it has been, you never really know. It's like whenever, you, I don't know how other authors feel, but I feel like when I release a book, it's like birthing a baby. And <laughs> you, know, you never really know what it's going to turn out to be like. You never know how it's going to be received by others. And you always, you know, I think you have aspirations of it, like everybody thinking it's, you know, this fantastic thing and that it sells like hotcakes. Well, I wish it sold more. But what I will say, because this is my second book that I've written, the really cool thing about this experience has been ever since the launch, I get an email about every other day from somebody saying, I just finished your book and then fill in the blank. And it's really meaningful stuff. I mean, I got an email this morning from a guy who said, I wish I had this book in my life 20 years ago. I would have lived life so differently. Yeah. And it's, you know, getting that type of feedback is what, you know, is the reason why I wrote it. Not to get the feedback, but to have, hopefully have that type of an impact. Yeah, to have an impact, right? 
that's what I love about this concept is obviously a leader who's running an organization can pick it up and read it and have an, you know, a new approach or a new perspective on maybe how they're leading and adjust that or just somebody in their day-to-day life who's just trying to live better and, and be a better disciple of Jesus Christ or whatever it is uh, can get the same from it, right? Yeah. And what I find, it's really interesting and maybe it shouldn't shock me. When I work with executives on developing their leadership through this focus on vertical development, one of the first pieces of feedback that I get from them is this has completely changed how I operate with my family. Wow. Right. And like I I had this executive just the other day, he said, this has completely changed how my relationship with my stepdaughters. Mm. I now sit with my stepdaughters every day and I talk with them and I didn't before. So it's what I find is that I think our home environment is kind of a safer testing ground for leaders to try to apply the principles of vertical development at home. And then if it works at home, then I think they're like, oh, let me try this at work. So that's been uh, an interesting observation. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, this is a part two to the, like I mentioned, the conversation we had earlier. And so we probably won't lay out the foundation of the the book's principles like we did before. So if somebody's listening to this and really wants to get into the concepts, I would recommend we just actually re-released it on November 30th in 2022. So scroll back a few episodes and you'll see part one. I We make even use the same the same title but for part two but maybe just let's just lay the foundation in five to ten minutes what is vertical development and what's the general yeah. premise of of this book yeah great great idea so the well, one of the things that's helpful to understand is that there's two different ways in which we can develop ourselves one of those ways and the typical way that we're used to developing ourselves is a form of development called horizontal development So horizontal development is adding new knowledge and skills to ourselves. The focus is on helping us to do more than what we could do previously. So this is most of our high school, college classes. I would even say most of our church instruction is tell me what to do so I can go and do it. And it's a lot like downloading an app onto an iPad. Once we have that app onto an iPad, that iPad can now do more than what it could do previously. Right. So, for example, if I take an accounting class, I will download the accounting app that allows me to balance the budget sheets. But one of the questions is, and this is one of the limitations with horizontal development, is does that new app improve how effectively the iPad operates as a whole? And the answer to that question is usually no, not really. Right. Right. If we want to improve how effectively we operate as a whole, we've got to upgrade our own internal operating system. And that's what vertical development is all about. Upgrading our ability to make meaning of our world in more cognitively and emotionally sophisticated ways. So let me just give you a couple of characteristics. So if we we could take characteristics like, um, and I'm trying to think of some more gospel related, but charity patience, empathy, humility, vulnerability, emotional intelligence. These types of characteristics are characteristics that we can't really develop through horizontal development. They are really only characteristics that can be developed through vertical development. And so most people just aren't familiar with vertical development and hopefully just becoming familiar opens up a new window for improving ourselves so that we could become more of the people that we want to become. And I might even say for this audience, become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
I think the whole purpose of the gospel is literally to help us vertically develop. Yeah. No, that, that's perfect. And, and this is a concept that's really been on my mind in the last year or so. You know, Dan Duckworth, who I interview, he's on our board of directors, just a phenomenal leadership mind. And he talks about, and, and I need to, I need to get, I think we've talked about in an episode I've did with him in the past, but I need to get him on again and really go through this, this concept. But he talks about this one researcher, leadership researcher that went out and thought, you know, I want to crack the code on leadership. What makes the biggest difference in leadership? And so he looked at the, all these different areas as far as skill or like personality or whatever. And what he came down to is that the biggest impact of influence on leadership is character and whether that character has developed into something different. And so, but this is the, this is the temptation of leadership is that we want the skill set, right? And in this past year, we, you know, did our first uh, women's retreat and, we hope to do more. And the the reason we're doing these leadership retreats is that we want to create a container where character development can be explored and accomplished or or vertical development can happen rather than wow. just horizontal development, right? And I remember this one moment at the retreat, there was a presenter up talking about this concept and she used an example. And I believe it was uh, an example with a conversation which she was having with a church leader. And she had this great you know, that she was talking about the conversation. She had this great response as far as then I told him this and it just like hit the target for everybody in the room. And this lady raised her hand and she said, wait a minute, repeat that again. What did you say? And so there's this feeling of like, if I can just know what to say, then I'll be good in these situations. Then I can approach these difficult circumstances and engage with them and say the right thing. When in reality, it has nothing to do with the words or the sentence or the way it was said, but the character that she brought to that, that, you know, as you talk about the, the level 3.0 leadership or self-development of it's who you are that uh, as you approach that situation, that's going to have the greatest impact rather than, the, you know, the five skill sets that you picked up at a, you know, a, a recent uh, conference or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Is that a good way to frame that? For sure. Spot on. And I'm the, <clears throat> I see the same thing with business leaders is they generally kind of say, okay, if they're coming into a workshop, just tell me what to do and I will go and do it. Let's just get in, let's get out. And that's what I love about your retreats is, and I love how you put it, it's a container to help with character development or reality, help with vertical development. The whole purpose of, I imagine the whole purpose of these retreats is not just to gain more knowledge or more skills but it's to upgrade our own internal operating system so that we think and function differently after as opposed to before. And creating a container is a really helpful part of that process to be able to do that. That's yeah. awesome. And I think there's just so many great examples of this, even like our, our tradition of missionary service, right? Like I came home from my mission and others would probably resonate with this. Like I was a different person. And it wasn't that, I mean, yeah, I built, you know, created some skill sets on my mission. I maybe learned how to teach or, you know, I learned this one strategy as I'm sitting down with an investigator to answer really difficult questions, or I learned how to lead a district or whatnot, or, or run a district meeting. Mm -hmm. But it was, all those skills sort of vanish in the next few years, but that character is sort of still there. And I'm even a different person today because I had that transformational experience. There was a vertical development that happened yep. on the missionary service. And it really had nothing to do with maybe the skill sets I was, I was learning. Yeah. And to your point, one of the 
concepts that's helpful to understand when we talk about vertical development is this comes from the field of developmental psychology. And developmental psychologists have found that adults can develop and that there are different adult developmental stages. But what they also find is that most adults don't develop. <laughs> now, so what that means is, is as you talk about your mission experience, you leveled up effectively from one level, from the childhood stage to the first adult development stage, right? And that was that you would describe that as being transformational. You would almost say I was a different person after compared to before. Mm -hmm. Now, what's important to recognize when it comes to adult development theory is that just because you transform then doesn't mean you're done transforming if you want to continue to improve yeah, and develop, yeah. right? There are other additional levels. In fact, there would be two other additional levels that developmental psychologists have identified that we could still level up to. And the statistics are really interesting. What they find is 64% stay at the base level of adult development their entire adult lives. 35% end up getting to that second level and only 1% get up to that top level. And so there is, if we've only transformed once in our life, it's probably an indication we've got some room to continue to transform. Yeah, love it. And my mind also goes to, you know, a, a few months ago, I interviewed Bronco Mendenhall, who's the former coach of BYU uh, football and University of Virginia football. And he was just talking about his leadership style and about his process of of recruiting is when somebody, when a recruit would come to town, he'd take him out to his ranch and get him on a horse. Now for a division one college football, I would imagine the vast majority, maybe never been on a horse, let alone engage with it. But it sort of created this, again, this container where he was able to not measure, you know, that their, their speed or agility or athleticism, but really look at their character. And then to, to hear him talk about the different things he did as a coach, as he would start a new season he was really creating character development experiences or pushing them to another you know, level of vertical development. And in that interview, I basically said to him, so it sounds like in order to improve as a leader, you can't just go into Elder's Corman and teach the lesson a little bit differently. Like you have to create a, an experience where people step into where they have an opportunity to level up rather than just learn more knowledge. And so that's what you know, and I think we do this a lot better on the youth level in our church or in our faith tradition. We're going to, you know, FSY experiences where we're out doing these, they're not only learning, but having these experiences that push youth out of their comfort zone. But then we get into the, the adult years and we're just like, we sort of just harp on them like, well, you should just do more and be better. And, you know, but we don't give them these experiences that can really develop character. Yeah, we almost force our, I, I'm totally there with you. We almost force our youth to get uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Go to these uncomfortable situations because you know you're going to learn and grow. And then if we had a church leader come to us as adults and say, let's go do this uncomfortable thing so that we can learn and grow. And everybody's going to be like, no, 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 that's, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to that, right? <laughs> and we force our youth to do it all the time. But that... There's a reason why our youth grow so much is because we force them into discomfort. And we, we as an adult just are, are oftentimes not willing to step into some of that discomfort, but that's where the growth occurs. Yeah. And whether we like do it formally in our church programs or whatnot, like this is the way that God leads us. Like he will come into our life. And I often r refer to the scripture, you know, I stand at the door and knock. 
I, I often replace the word, I stand at the door and disrupt. Like he will come to your life and disrupt you in a way that will challenge you and force you to develop to another, another level. And thankfully he's patient enough to not discard us when maybe it takes longer than when it takes longer than, than maybe he would like or what we would like. But it's like suddenly you have cancer or suddenly you lose a job. Yeah. These trials are these vertical development exercises that God will put in our life. And so, and again, not that we can avoid them or, you know, or not, but I think it's just important to stay in that mindset of saying, how am I looking for experiences that challenge me in a way that's causing me to develop and go to a, a different level of, of uh, character? Yeah. So one of the things that we know about the vertical development journey is there is a requirement as a part of the journey. And the requirement is experiencing a heat experience. So what you're talking about is these heat experiences. Now, heat experiences, there's a couple of things to recognize about them, is they can be externally driven and they could be internally driven, meaning that the heat experience can be something that happens to us. Like I get cancer, a family member dies, right? Mm -hmm. Things like that. Those are things that can happen to us. A heat experience can also be internally driven. I choose to invest in my development or put myself in these conditions that cause me to rethink how I am seeing and making meaning of my world. So that's one of the things that we need to consider with the heat experiences, internal or externally driven. The other thing that's helpful to consider or just recognize is just because somebody has been through a heat experience doesn't mean that they have vertically developed. In other words, we have got to leverage the heat experiences that do occur to vertically develop. Just because they happen doesn't mean we vertically develop. So we can wait for heat experiences to occur and they will inevitably occur. We could create them on our own if we want to vertically develop. But regardless, we've got to capitalize on them. We've, we've got to use them for our benefit. Yeah. So Ryan, talk to me in the context of just like leading in our in our church whether it's an elders quorum president, a bishop, I, I'm just afraid people are listening to me like, oh, great. Like, so we have to go to elders quorum and do trust falls or like <laughs> go on more hikes or like what? So maybe just give us some ideas or paint the picture of what this would look like. Like what would an elders quorum look like where vertical development is a really a dominant focus? Yeah, well, let's let's even look at, I would say, what we typically do. Now, every ward is different. Everybody's situation is always different. I would say the dominant approach, and you could push back and correct me if I'm if you think I'm wrong or off, Kurt, is that we have a teacher that's assigned a lesson that's either from a conference talk or from a certain set of scriptures, right? So certain chapters in a certain book. And the way that most teachers commonly prepare is my job is to learn this material. And then it's like I'm a flash drive and I come to church and my job is to download what I learned into you. Here are the things that you need to know about this. Here are the things now that you can do as a result of this, right? This isn't bad. It's just horizontal development. And oftentimes how this plays out in my experience, now I haven't been in many relief societies, but my experience in elders quorum meetings is oftentimes, you know, the teacher usually wants to create some engagement and they're asking questions. And it oftentimes almost feels like a battle between who has the better answer or who has the most correct answer mm -hmm. as opposed to what's been said by other prophets or certain scriptures. And it, it just, the benefit is it does tend to lead to greater knowledge about a topic. 
but it doesn't improve our internal operating system very often. It doesn't cause us to question the paradigms that we've been holding on to and reevaluate those. And so what vertical development, well, I guess let me pause there before. Okay, what might vertical development look like? But like, do you have any, any disagreement with my perception of how we typically focus on horizontal development? No, I don't think so. I, and usually it's the, it's sort of the tradition of what we've seen. And so let's yeah. just keep doing it because the building hasn't caught on fire yet. So it must, you know, it must not be that bad. Yeah. So horizontal, and don't get me wrong, it's not easy to have a great vertical development experience in 45 minutes or an hour or whatever we have. Right. right? But one of the things that vertical development, an element of vertical development is we're creating an opportunity to push against worldviews, whatever those might be, right? So if there is an aspect of complexity, and there's oftentimes in the church, I think we have a tendency to see things in white and black, either it's right or it's wrong. But if we could dive into the complexity of situations, help people to rethink how they are operating or how they're thinking about certain things, that's the type of thing that creates vertical development. Now, one of the things that I observed about these situations is that I almost think a necessary prerequisite for vertical development is vulnerability. Mm -hmm. So what that means for church leaders is oftentimes we have to lead out in being vulnerable and we need to create situations where other people can be vulnerable. We need to create really safe situations and have the purpose of the lesson not be about covering a certain amount of material or covering certain topics, but to your point, creating an experience that causes people to reflect, introspect, push back against, you know, whatever prevailing beliefs or norms might be present. Yeah. And I love the how you mentioned that doing this in a 45-minute Ehlers Quorum class, that's a tall order. And the way I see is that you have to really come together as a presidency or as a ward council and really figure out how we can create either experiences or, you know, these containers that's going to help individuals develop vertically and then use the Sunday, every other Sunday is sort of a touch point, right? We're not trying to build Rome in those 45 minutes, but it's sort of a, a moment where you, we can regroup and reflect and talk it through because again, we're very limited. We can't say, oh, we're, we're all going to go camp for three days for elders quorum this week. Well, no, we can't do that. But you know, they do that in the youth, right? They're, yeah. they're out camping and create a camp experience. And then on Sundays, it's like you're regrouping with your youth group. And hopefully we can create that, that dynamic, you know, on, on the Sunday. So yeah, that's definitely, I don't want individuals or leaders to feel like, man, I mean, we got a room and a bunch of chairs. Like what, what are we supposed to do? Right. Well, yeah, I think, you know, one of the things I liked about what you said is you were touching on this idea that as a presidency, we need to be really clear on what our purpose is as a presidency. What is our purpose? And I think our purpose should be to help those under our stewardship become better individuals. Mm -hmm. And let me, if it's okay, maybe I'll even step into some vulnerability and share a little bit about what this might entail. So let's hear it. So here's something that I've learned. This is something I've learned on my vertical development journey. Now, I, I had really good parents. So my, my parents were all, they were married. They stayed married. They went to almost every basketball game I ever played. Basketball was my sport. Like they were always there for me physically. 
And what I've learned over the last two, about two years ago, I started to work with a trauma therapist. And I started working with her because I was just curious about a certain therapy modality. I didn't think I had trauma in my background. And, but she said, even if you don't have trauma, I think it could help you uh, overcome some mental blocks that you might have and help you become a better, better person, a better leader, help your business, et cetera. So I said, sure, let's do it. Pretty early on into this trauma therapy, I learned that I did have trauma in my background. And my trauma wasn't as overt as others in the sense of like, I was never physically abused by my parents. But what I discovered is that the trauma that I experienced was more covert. My parents were rarely there for me emotionally. That as a child and at a very early age, I was left on my own emotionally. Like, I'll give you an example. And this is, this is a, one of these kind of pivotal moments. As a 10-year-old, I had an older uh, brother-in-law. My sister was married. And he was like an older brother to me. And he passed away. And I remember being devastated by this. And I remember crying on the couch. What I remember was like two hours crying on the couch. And that entire time, my parents never came and gave me a hug. Right. So that's, mm. that was part of my experience. And then it has surely been formative and it shaped me. What has been interesting now that I've kind of discovered my parents' emotional neglect on me as a child was during the, my parents' entire lives, they were active members of the church. Both of them served, served missions as you know, young adults, they also served two missions together in the Philippines. They were both very dedicated temple goers. My parents, by all measures of the church, were the epitome of the gospel. They were checking all of the boxes. All right. They always fulfilled their callings. And I do love them, but I recognize their humanity at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, while my parents checked all the boxes, I do not think that they were... They didn't do a whole lot to, to try to become more like Jesus Christ in the sense of what I believe Jesus Christ to be is somebody who would sit with a crying child and comfort them. Somebody who would be more attuned to their children's emotional needs. I don't resent my parents. Like, I, I don't feel like I'm coming at this from a place of, but it's just the acknowledgement that the gospel I believe, is about helping us to become more like Jesus Christ. And my parents did not, not that the church is responsible for them. I'm not saying the church is responsible. But for whatever reason, didn't create, my parents didn't step into experiences that would have allowed them to better emotionally connect with other people, including their children. Right? I think if they wanted to be a better church leader, a better positive influence through their work, through their community, they would have needed to develop the skills of emotional connection, of empathy, of vulnerability. And my parents just never developed those skills. And so I say all of this because I do think that church leaders have an opportunity to help people develop those skills. Are they responsible for that? No, I don't think so. But I do think we have an opportunity and we largely miss it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because there's not like a five step plan to to nail it, right? Like yeah. it, it's so nuanced and just in our personal development and whatnot, it's just hard to to strike that you know with a again in 45 minutes or in a typical church service experience, right? 
and this is a perfect segue in, in really the crux that I, of, of our conversation, at least what I'd like it to be, is when we reflect on like what makes us as leaders, because we've all had the experience of maybe a certain bishop is called on our board. And, you know, going back to your computer analogy, it's not that he's just a iPad with that needs a few more apps. He's like, no, this is a 19, you know, 87 Apple, you know, what what was the first Apple PC, the, the Macintosh computer, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we feel like it is so ar- the processing system is so archaic, like, I don't even know what to do with it. And then it becomes frustrating, right? Well, the question is, is what makes that leader who they are? And then, to, and I think it's, we're in the best point of view to just reflect on us personally, what makes us the leaders we are? And let me unpack this in, in a certain way, both on the good side and the bad side, where, you know, we have this tradition of using phrases like, the bishop is inspired, like he has the keys, he can receive revelation. And we oversimplify that thinking that the bishop goes into his office and he has this quiet moment and suddenly thoughts begin to percolate in his mind. Now, as a former bishop, yeah, those types of experiences do happen. However, the vast majority of leadership and decisions are made are made just because of who I am, how my DNA is put together, the life experiences I have had. And then I make decisions that then my brain and cognitive bias sometimes steps in and says, yes, that feels good. Go with that. And then I stamp it with that is revelation. Here we go. Right. Where yeah. there are experiences I had maybe as a 12 year old deacon that the Lord was putting into my life at that point, because he knew that 20 years later, I would be a bishop and I needed that experience to make a certain decision 20 years later, and that can still be stamped as revelation, even though there's no like revelatory moment or angel or scroll from heaven, you know, that came to me in the bishop's office. But because of experiences I had early in life impact how I lead later in life. Now, in many of those ways, I made good, good leadership decisions because of that dynamic. However, there's also on the flip side, there's certain experiences I had as a child that now impact me as an adult and as a leader that actually make me not be so so good of a leader because of those experiences and and the way you frame it that in my childhood was was similar and a lot of people you know therapists frame it as as big t trauma and little t trauma like the big t are the dramatic like assaults on our soul of abuse or you know this traumatic event where you're in a car accident and lose your parents or you know these dramatic experiences that really assault us and leave a gaping wound and then the little T trauma, which I call almost like this, the little frictions of life building over time. And I think that relates to our experience that over time, these little frictions were there. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't like I needed therapy immediately or whatnot. But by the 20 years pass and suddenly that's become a wound or this point of friction that every time something touches there, it hurts. And so for me, my one experience that I always go to to articulate this is in sixth grade, I was the youngest of four, still am. But all my older siblings were quite smart. And especially my next older brother, who's three years older than me. I mean, valedictorian of high school, full ride scholarship to to college. And I mean, never got anything but an A, right? And so as a developing boy, I'm thinking, well, I've that is the standard in my household. I've got to live up to that. At the end of sixth grade, moving on to junior high and seventh grade, and in walks my uh, elementary school teacher with the stack of letters. And I knew exactly what these letters were because my siblings had gotten one of these letters and I knew that this was the time of year they're handed out. Well, these letters were letters of acceptance into the GT program or the gifted and talented program mm. in junior high. 
And they went around and handed those letters off out. And guess what? I did not get one. And it was this, it was sort of this pivotal moment. Again, not a big deal. It's not like, you know, it was destructive in that moment, but these little frictions, right? And in that moment, I made the agreement of, oh, I'm the stupid one in the family, right? Mm. I can't live up to these standards. And then what began is over the next decade or so of me constantly chasing this personal validation of, am I enough for this family? Am I enough for the society I live in? And am am I going to succeed, right? And again, it's not that I had these awful parents or these awful siblings that did this to me. It was just the nature of the world I was was growing up in. And then to the point of on my mission, thinking, well, all my brothers have been zone leaders. And I remember the moment where the mission president sent a different missionary into my zone to be the zone leader. And this was near the end of my mission. It was a perfect time for me to be a zone leader, but I was uh-huh. not made a zone leader, right? And so again, it's this constant attack. And then on the flip side, being made a bishop at 28, suddenly that validation flooded in. I was like, oh, finally, I'm good enough, <laughs> right? Finally, yeah. I'm, I've lived up to the standard because now I'm a bishop, right? That was simply poison of the validation and whatnot. Mm. So anyways, that's yeah. a little bit my story as far as these little traumas that come into life. And, and this is, this is so interesting as I'm reading through your book that you have chapters on trauma and therapy and whatnot. And this is such a pivotal point for church leaders to sit with is that what has happened to you in your life? What type of leadership have you experienced? What was your growing up years like? What was your testimony development like? And how is it impacting how you're, you're leading or impeding you from vertically developing? Anyways, that's way too long to unpack that concept. But what comes to mind, right? No, well, you're, well, thank you for sharing. You can see how for you, there's, you see the connections between what has happened in the past and how you show up today. Let me, let me give you another couple of examples with executives that I've worked with. One executive is a, he is a micromanager and he realizes it. Everybody realizes it, but he can't stop it. And I'm having a coaching call with him and I ask him, what led to you starting your business? And he said, to prove others wrong, Mm. right? You could tell, you know, what type of space he's coming from in his leadership. And and in some ways, it's, you know, you see that like a similar space that you were coming from, maybe in some of some of your leadership. And what he had learned is that, okay, if problems happen at work, that is a sign that I'm not going to prove others wrong. So I, I feel like I have to step in and micromanage because if I don't, then my self-worth is not fulfilled. And later in the coaching call, he was able to, he was great. He was willing to be vulnerable. And he said, and this is, I've heard this now multiple times with executives. He said, I try not to let anyone know this, but deep down, I'm a very insecure person. When we lead from a place and we may not even be fully cognizant of it. I know I wasn't before I kind of woke up to the idea that I had trauma in my background is we may not be fully cognizant that we are living life from an insecure position. And if that's the case, we probably aren't going to lead super effectively. Let me give you another example. One of the things that I do with executives is I have some assessments, a, a personal mindset assessment, a vertical development assessment, and I have executives take this as a way to help them in their introspective and vertical development journey. Well, I'm working with an organization and the CEO says to me, all right, I want you to work with my executive team, go and do it. And I said, <laughs> well, what about you? And he said, no, no, just go work with my team. 
was like, well, I think you, it's important for you to be a part of it. Would you be willing at least to take my assessments? And he said, no, I, I wouldn't be willing to take the, your assessments. I was like, <laughs> oh, gee, okay. So, so I go on and I'm, I'm working with his executive team and they, they're great. Um, you know, they've got their own development opportunities. But one of the things that was really interesting to me is I'm working with this executive team. They said, about a year ago, we did some work with the executive team, including the CEO. And the person who came in had us tell our life stories. And we, we all got vulnerable. And they told me what this CEO said in his life story. And it was like, oh, when they said it, it, was like, oh my goodness, this, okay, this makes sense. But they said the CEO said that when he was a kid, his best friend was his bike. Wow. Right? And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, right? Is there a connection between him not having a friend as a kid to being in a very visible leadership position where he is unwilling to be introspective about who he is? Yeah, there is definitely a connection between those things. And so what this gets at is that if we want to be effective leaders, we've got to operate from a place of security as opposed to a place of insecurity. And for most of us, that means that we have to go through a healing journey. Mm -hmm. And when we have leaders that are human, that maybe hold too rigidly to certain things, it's usually a sign that I feel like I have to hold on to this because if I don't, I feel like I may not be seen of worth by others. Or you get other leaders who are very unorganized and they're just from point A to point B and they're trying to people please the whole time, right? That's just another for way in which insecurity manifests itself. Micromanagement is another way, right? So we see this in others. We see it ourselves. We can see it in our family members. Nobody's perfect. But the journey to becoming a more positive influence, a better leader, and more like our savior is foundationally a healing journey, mm. a healing from our past wounds and traumas, whatever those might be. And if we aren't willing to step in and see and recognize that, the only thing that we're doing is we're putting a block on our development as a person and as a leader. Yeah, because isn't it so easy, like when you're running an organization to look like, you sort of look outward at the same time looking inward, but it's like, what can I do with this group of people? How can I approach this to be be better? And it may feel like, you know, I'm, I'm willing to change. I'm willing to delegate. I'm willing to do some things. But even myself, like, you know, I'm the, I'm the leading saints guy, right? I sit and interview people over and over about these concepts of, of leadership. You'd think I'd have some level of perspective when it comes to leading an organization. But until I address that that constant crave of validation, that constant crave of, of being good enough to my peers and my siblings and whatnot. Like, it doesn't matter how many episodes I listen to about delegation or how many books I read about running a meeting. Like, if I can't go through that healing journey, which obviously involves nothing but Christ, because he is the healer, right? Yep. I'll never reach that level of, of leadership that, that I need. And I mean, just to keep it in the vulnerability category here, like, I now, my two other brothers, so my two other brothers and myself, we were all bishops at the same time. Now, those two older brothers are now serving as stake presidents. And I will often joke, I'm the other other Manning brother in the family where <laughs> yep. Peyton and Eli Manning, both 
Super Bowl winning uh, quarterbacks. They have a third brother who didn't play football. I don't know. He's an accountant or something. Anyways, I joke sort of in a fun way. But the point being is that like this is such a journey for me to stand in this space of being like, no, like you don't have to be that, Kurt. And that's okay. Like you can be, that can be healed through Jesus Christ of doing that. And that now makes me a better leader, not necessarily with a title, not necessarily because, you know, I'll, I'll get some calling, but that just my influence in a ward or in a community is enhanced because I found I've been on a healing journey with that dynamic. Now, I'm not going to claim I'm there or, or whatnot, but the point being is this, is that people come to leading saints with this idea of like, you know, this is such good content. I want to learn how to be a better leader. And yeah, we'll, we'll discuss all the topics. We'll talk about meeting management. We'll talk about, you know, how to teach a lesson or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, no leader can really develop vertically until they've done their own work. And this mm-hmm. is a concept I learned from my good friend, Steve Shields, who's a therapist and been on the, the podcast many times. But he just keeps coming back to this when it's like, no matter what concept we talk about, at the end of the day, you got to look at your demons in the face and handle them and, and get the help. And, and it doesn't have to, we're not saying you've got to go to a therapist and do this. Like I found of many other methods of, of finding that healing. And maybe that's a conversation for another day. But here's the concept that breaks my heart when I hear it. And you hear it a lot in, in our faith community, and I'm sure elsewhere. Somebody will stand and talk about something that really hurt in their life. Like maybe it is... Like I could stand here like now that I've shared my story and be like, you know what, boo-hoo, Kurt, like you didn't get accepted in the gifted and talented program. You weren't a zone leader on your mission. Like at least you didn't have cancer as a child or at least you didn't lose a parent, right? We sometimes compare our hurt and our trauma to others and be like, well, I guess I'm not as bad as that guy. And so I should just suck it up and move forward. But like the biggest favor you could do for yourself is to say it matters. Like the fact that I was that boy in that room that was rejected and I got the message that I was stupid, like that matters. And it's it's worth like going to that place with the Savior and having him tell you, you know, that matters and I can heal it, right? Yeah. You don't need to go through cancer. You don't need to do all these things in, in order to have a story, have trauma that is worth addressing. And this is the biggest trap of leadership is when we have lives like we, you and I had, Ryan, where we're, we say, you know, I had a good parents. It was, it was fine. Like, yeah, they weren't perfect, but it was fine. If we don't go to this place of saying, it matters, my trauma matters, even though it's a small T trauma, and I still need to be healed from it. If we don't go to that place, we're basically lining up in the, the line to go see the Savior, like Third Nephi articulates, and we get to the front, and Jesus turns to us and says, what can I heal? And you say, oh, oh don't worry about it. Why, why don't you move on to the boy in the wheelchair, right? And or like I don't will, have anything to heal. Yeah, I don't have it. I'm good. Like, yeah, yeah. my, my sciatica is acting up, but no, no big deal. <laughs> or I slept on my shoulder weird. No big deal. Or, you know, I was, yeah, I was sort of rejected in elementary school and thought I was stupid. But again, no big deal. <laughs> right. Like if you get to the savior and you say, I got nothing to heal, check your Christianity, my friend. Right. And this was impeding your leadership. This is why maybe you're stuck is that yep. you're not willing to go to your pain and say that matters and it hurts. Anyways. Gently stepping off my soapbox, uh, take it away. No, well, let me let me build <laughs> off of that. So there's an exercise that I engage in. It's a vertical development exercise that I use in the coaching that I do with executives. And and as a part of this exercise, and this naturally will come up in the flow of the exercise, but it, it does catch him a little off guard. Is I ask them, what fear is going on here for you? And I would say for ten to fifteen percent of all executives that I've gone through this, which I've done over a hundred, ten to fifteen percent of them. 
I ask them that question and they they stiffen up and they say, I don't have any fear. I'm not driven by fear, right? They're very <laughs> disconnection from the even the idea that they might have fears is driving them to self-protect and is not even a, their body, their mind and their body don't even allow them to investigate the hurt that is surely there. And I think that's kind of been my experience is to your point is like, I think my, the way that I was brought up was to cover the emotional hurt, cover the emotional need Mm -hmm. and don't acknowledge it. And what I've learned and what I'm continuing to learn and how I'm trying to improve is, is that one of the ways in which that has played a role in my life is while it's protected my emotions, right? And maybe I don't feel shame as deeply as other people might. One of the things that it does affect is it does affect my ability to connect with others, right? If I'm never willing to be vulnerable with somebody, Mm -hmm. what's my ability to connect with them and build positive relationships? And so, you know, there's everybody has their, I think what we're trying to say is everybody has their own story. Everybody has their own journey. Everybody has their own hurts and everybody needs healing. And we are getting clarity, greater and greater clarity on how to help people with that. And that's why we're having this conversation. Yeah, it's, it's just such a profound concept. And, and again, like this is this is where leadership development is so difficult is like, wait a minute, like I actually have to address the fear that I'm covering up or, you know, because for me, it was just that the validation I got from being a bishop and being in a stake presidency, you know, it was if it, it was just like soothing to that pain of mm. or you're the stupid kid that can't keep up. And finally, I'm in those positions and then they're gone, right? And then it flares up again. And then it's like, yeah. well, well, what next? Like, I need I need validation. I need to tap in. Yeah, like, I need to know that released, I'm good. What's my self-worth? Where's right. my self-worth yeah. come from? Right? Yeah. And your self-worth, to your point, and you could probably say this better than I could, your self-worth should never come from a position. Yeah, right. It should never come from people. It should never yeah. come from anything. It always has to come from Jesus. You know, and that's like the beauty of the gospel. and. It's like when I go to the Calvary and I sit there and like that, his suffering heals my suffering. Like it's just a, I mean, and and this is such a weird, like if someone was to jump into this episode right here, they'd be like, I thought this podcast was about leadership. And like, this is at the, the essence of leadership, right? Is the personal healing that we all deserve and need, unless that is done through the savior, like we'll never develop as a leader. That's the core. I mean, and even it is, I imagine it's helpful you know, doing this a a little bit by exploring, I'm going to say the history of trauma in your family. Yeah. Right. So one of the things that I could say about my mom is there's pretty strong evidence that my mom was abused as a child. My mom had a lot of anxieties. She struggled with insecurity, right? Mm -hmm. When she struggles with insecurity herself and has anxieties, her ability to connect with my emotions as a child are diminished, right? My dad, what I know is his grandfather was like, like Spock, like the guy just was, didn't show any emotions, right? My dad, I don't think ever had that modeled for him. I don't think there was any of what I know. There's no abuse there. But when you get a dad who never had a dad that connected with him emotionally and you get a mom that's anxious, well, what comes out of that is kind of my experience. And, Mm -hmm. and now you know, I'm in a position as a parent of an eight, a 10 year old and an eight year old where, oh, well, maybe for the first eight years of my daughter's life, 
I struggled. Maybe I struggled to connect with her emotionally to the degree that which I, I could have. And now by going through awakening to this, going through therapy, I think I do a much better, and this is what's been life-changing for me, is I do a much better job stepping into and connecting with the emotions of my children right. than ever before. And because I have that greater ability to do so, I would say I do feel more Christ-like. I feel like I have become more like him. I am interacting with my children more like he would. You know, am I perfect? No, I'm, I, I still got my own blocks. But I do think awakening to this allows me and also my wife to change the cycle that has gone on in both of our families. And my guess is that everybody can make similar connections or most everybody anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a perfect example of, again, it's not that you read a parenting book and now have the 10 perfect phrases to say when you're, when your little boy's crying, it's like you're a different person. And so when you're in that moment, you naturally are saying things in a certain way. And, and it's so easy, you know, even in the life of the savior, I mean, the list of experiences he had with individual people. And you're just like, he just said the perfect thing. Like, man, wow. How did he do that? Like, I want to be like that. And again, there's no, like, there's no phrase or we can't regurgitate exactly what he said. It was just who he was. That was his identity and, and his nature to just say those things when they're needed because he was just on that level. Yeah. Well, let me give you an example of this. Is They've done a lot of research on the effect that trauma has on, on a parent and how they parent. So they take mothers who were had their own trauma in their background and other moms who were like abused usually and other moms who didn't have that same abuse. And they have that they observe them interacting with their kids and to see the difference. And one of these, there's an episode, and this comes from the book, The Body Keeps the Score, which is a fantastic book. And they've recorded a mom doing this. So this is a mom with trauma. She's interacting with her baby, with the toy. Things are going well. The baby just seems like the baby needs a break. And so the baby turns its head to go do something else. The mom naturally interprets this as you are going away from me. You don't love me. Wow. So the mom forces the baby to face her and starts tickling the baby, which is overstimulating the baby even more. And the baby starts crying. And then the mom gets all exasperated thinking, my child doesn't love me. Wow. All because she had a decreased ability to read and connect with the emotions of her baby. That's the impact that trauma has on us is it impacts our ability to read and understand the emotions of others. Effectively, it shapes our level of emotional intelligence. And so until she heals her body's nervous system and just allows, oh, my baby is feeling overwhelmed at the moment and they're turning away. That isn't a sign that I'm a bad parent. It's a sign that they need a break, mm-hmm. right? That's a more healthy dynamic. And so, you know, you ask that mom who eventually made her baby cry, are you a good mom? Are you trying your best? Yeah, she would say, yeah, I'm a good mom. I'm trying my best. I'm there. Didn't you see me? I was with my baby. But because she read the wrong emotional cues, everything yeah. was off. Yeah, and just to, projecting that onto like a church leadership experience, <laughs> I mean... Just it's just like an opportunity to get really curious about the feelings that come to the surface in different situations. So, like for example, I remember being in the state presidency, and it was like our self worth for the next six months was laid on the Saturday evening session of state conference. Like as far as how many people showed up, 
And if it was low attended, it was sort of like, oh man, these people, you know, but why is that? Why am I responding that way? You know, like, why am I, why do I find a problem with people not coming to Saturday evening session? And what am I interpreting that saying about me or, you know, elders quorum presidency with uh, maybe how, how much ministering is happening in a ward yeah. or sacramenting attendance, like all these indicators. Right. And again, they're important and they're sort of, it's data, right. And we can, data is useful and we can make adjustments and whatnot, but how do are we defining ourselves because of our leadership experience when the Christmas party just completely was a flop? And, you know, I delegate, I did that thing that Kurt Frank, I'm talking about on this podcast about <laughs> delegating and I, and I did the things and now look at it and you know, Whoa, like what's going on there. Yeah. And again, you may, may not be able to say, Oh yeah, but it's because when I was eight years old, this thing happened. And like, that's where you need either a professional therapist, you need an experience, you need like a journey through that healing to get to that place and be like, Oh, like, I just need to sit in the space for a while and, and bring the savior here and, and heal it. And then in the future, as that healing happens, you can now be a more dynamic leader of saying that these situations aren't a problem, but you know, there's just data and we can move on and, and find different solutions or whatnot. Right. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that we find just, uh, with, with leaders in general, and you brought the, brought this up really well is less vertically developed leaders focus on results. They focus on outcomes, the lagging indicators. How many people showed up on the Saturday night session of state conference? How many people showed up to the Halloween activity or the Christmas activity, right? What is the percentage of temple recommend holders? Those are outcomes. The best leaders focus on the leading indicators, not the lagging indicators, right? So it's are we focused on creating a Saturday night session that is worth attending? Mm -hmm. Because if we create a Saturday night session that is worth attending over and over and over again, what do you think is going to happen with attendance? It's going to go up. It's going to go up. Yeah. If we focus on attendance now, does that impact attendance in the future? No, our, our focus is on the outcome, not creating value, mm -hmm. right? If we create an activity that people want to attend, attendance will come up. We will get non-members to attend our activities. So oftentimes we just are, I think, are wired a little bit as our kind of our, our lack of vertical development to focus on the outcomes as opposed to the drivers of those outcomes. And ultimately, as a leader, our focus needs to be on creating value for the people that we're leading, not outcomes. So I think a valuable thing that we can do is just ask, what is the value we want to create for the war, for the young women, for the elders quorum, and then focus on creating whatever that is that you want to create. Yeah. Talk to me about as far as other people going through vertical development, because here's the thing, <laughs> like just adding the app to your, our interface, that's like really safe. It's sort of like, yeah. Now I have a calculator on my, you know, now I know how to do this thing a little bit better. But when we, when we're developing vertically, it can get really messy and scary and, and it can be a long journey. Like you mentioned, like this journey of healing, like that's not, yeah, go to, just go to six, you know, appointments with a good therapist and then you'll be a better leader. Like it can get, like, it can bring up some things that may send you, make you take a left turn on, on all sorts of things in life that look messy. And so like even in the context of like somebody going through what is often termed as a faith crisis, it's sort of like, oh boy, like let's get this person in a room. Let's make sure we answer their questions. Let's testify. Let's get them to church. Let's do it. Like let's fix this problem rather than having the faith of like, oh, 
Like it's just such a healthy re- reframe of like, oh, look at them. They're on a vertical development journey. This yep. is so exciting. Like, I don't know where it's going to take them, but I know God is in this because we ver- we worship a God of vertical development. So anyways, talk to us about when we're observing other people going through vertical development and it gets a little messy. Yeah, I think, and this is one of the things that I find, and I'm not vertically developed myself, right? I'm on my own journey. But here's what I've observed of really vertically developed people. They have a unique capacity to create space, right? They create space for dialogue. Hmm. They create space for mistakes. They create space for failure. And they don't rush in and try to fix everything right away. They create space for introspection, for love, right? They're just not rushing. And to me, this is a, it's just the people who have this ability, they just come across to me as being really wise people. And it speaks literally as you think about this, like, and I'm even intentionally trying to slow down, right? <laughs> Their body's nervous system just is not high strung. And they're, you know, whether or not your children go to church or not is not a signal of your value to God, right? It's, huh, maybe if my children step away for a little bit, I'm not wigging out because of all the people I think are going to judge me. Hmm, maybe they're uh, at a place in their journey where this is a signal they need some space or they need more love. Maybe I need to provide something that I haven't been providing before. So I think that that's one of the amazing characteristics of really vertically developed people. They don't rush to anything. They take the long-term view. And by doing so, they're able to create this type of space. And I think Mm. that if I was to say something about kind of Mike's, my church going experiences is I think we need to try to create more space for asking questions. Mm-hmm. for stepping into complexity to help people to work through issues. Like, so for example, we've had in our ward, we've had several families that had moved out and right after moving out, they left the church. Mm-hmm. And I don't think my ward takes enough accountability for the role that we played in that. You know, don't get me wrong. People are on their own agency path, but what we didn't create space for was hmm, somebody has an issue. They had a safe place to voice their concerns and then people listen to them. They just, I'm not aware of any of that happening with any of these families. Yeah. And so I feel like we missed an opportunity because yeah, we yeah. Create space. Yeah. That reflection. And again, being on a different vertical level, like with that maturity and being open to create the space, like that maturity sort of works both ways of not only being reflective of like, I don't maybe art, this experience, this word experience contributed to that. And also being mature enough to saying, you know, maybe it didn't and that's okay, but like, let's just get curious about it, right? We're not trying to pin it on anybody, but, and I think that's, you bring up another like indicator. Cause again, this isn't about like, Ryan's got all the answers in the 10 step program, like vertically development's so nuanced and whatnot, but like having these moments of reflection and, and these points of reflection of maybe ask yourself if you've had a child leave the church, like, what comes up for you there? Like, and being really curious, like, yeah. how did you respond to it and why? And being in that place where you can create space, again, going back to becoming more like Jesus Christ, like just being completely like at peace in that moment. And even like with Christ on the boat, right? When it's 
when they're caught in the storm and the disciples go to him and he's sleeping and it's sort of like, what sort of man, what sort of God can sleep during a storm on a boat? I mean, that's remarkable, right? But again, it, he was just sort of at that, at that point, right? And so the more we get there, and again, the, we can't just say, well, so just start acting like that. Just stop worrying about those that leave the church. Instead, like get in that place of like, wow, like what does it mean? Like, what can I look at? Where can I go with Jesus in my soul to address these feelings that are coming up and are they appropriate or not? Or anyway, so I think it's just a, a point of, of reflection as we ponder over these. Yeah. So any other point or principle you want to make sure we cover before we wrap up, or I got a few wrap up questions we can go to. Uh, just, it's always helpful to come back to the idea of what we're talking about when we talk about vertical development is a focus on elevating our being and not just focusing on our doing what we're just presenting is kind of a science-backed perspective on how to elevate our being. Mm -hmm. And it's a different and unique form of development, one that we're not used to, but one that will help us to become better people, become more like our Savior. So this is all about being. It is not about doing, which is, it's just different. It's a different form of development. Yeah. And maybe, and again, this is a bit contrary to everything we've just said, but like, give us some summary points as far as like, what the, the next step could look like. I want to develop vertically. I sort of generally understand the concept. And maybe one of those is like, do your own work, right? Like, whether that's <laughs> go to a therapist or, and to put just a self-promotional plug here, like, as we move forward with Leading Saints, we've been invited into this journey of doing these retreats. Now, retreats can seem like fluff, like, oh, you want me to go to this cabin or go to this retreat place and we're going to eat some good food and, you know, you get to meet Kurt, I guess, like what, like whatever it is. But like the reason we're doing this is that we've come to this place as an organization of realizing, oh, it's not about just interviewing one more author. No offense, Ryan. It's not about encouraging people to read one more book, but it's creating an experience where people could come and by the time they leave there, they've had a transformational experience. Their character's different. They go home with new ideas, not because we told them those ideas, but they've engaged with God on a level that have helped them develop. And so I really want to encourage you and, and maybe you'll put a plug in for our, our leadingsaints.org slash gathering page of like, consider these, consider these retreats in that light of, I'm going to go have an experience doing something that's going to help me develop. But anyways, other than that, like any other like next steps that general next steps that you would gives to the audience. No, and that's really good. I, the first step is always awareness. So we got to become more aware of ourselves, aware of our vertical altitude, aware of the quality of our mindsets. And I think, so that that's always the first step is just opening the door within us to step into some of these things, to step into our vulnerabilities, open up to fears, insecurities that we might have becoming more aware of those. Of course, there's other tools that can help us in that process. Another thing that is incredibly helpful is to learn. Just if we want to improve our mindsets, if we want to vertically develop, we've got to learn about vertical development. We've got to learn about mindsets. Hmm. Because the more that we know about them, the better we will be at introspecting about them. And so I guess you gave yourself plug. I'll give myself plug. Yes, uh, I've do. got a couple of books that are right up there, Ali, if you're like this. Uh, my new book, The Elevated Leader, and then my first book, Success Mindsets. And then once we get the awareness about these things, then we could do something about it. And so we could take 
certain exercises and actions. That may mean therapy for one person, and it may mean something else for another person. Like just simply meditation has been shown Mm -hmm. to be something that slows down our body's nervous system, allows us to be more cognitively and emotionally sophisticated. So there's a variety of different tools and things like that. I don't feel like we need to get into all the details, but there's other resources between me and you that people, you know, they go to my website, they go to Leading Saints. There's enough resources that they could do the work if they want to. And you also have an assessment on your on your website. I think we mentioned this in the first one, but if people sort of want to do a temperature check as far as their own der- vertical development journey and whatnot, that's a pretty solid resource. Yeah. So go there and then you'll see free assessments. And then there's several different assessments, one a vertical development, another a mindsets, and you'll get your individual results and then get direction for, okay, where do you go from here? Yeah. Good place to start. Yeah. So what I'm learning here, just summing up, like just Edu- like just get more education again, not because there's the 10 step plan that, that Ryan has, that's going to solve all your leadership problems, but just educating yourself about these, about the research, about the dynamics there, consider doing your own work in whatever form that looks like just mentally slowing down, maybe through meditation, taking more moments of reflection rather than, well, I just got to do more scripture study or attend the temple more, which again, attend the temple more because what more of a <laughs> perfect location is there to sit in reflection and meditation than in the temple. And also, if you go to leadingsaints.org slash books, this is like my, because all the time in different episodes, I would get emails from people saying, what are the books, Kurt? You've interviewed a lot of authors, like what books you recommend? And so I've used this page as like, if I was to recommend a very specific list of books for church leaders who want to just get educated, jump in and and develop and, and whatnot and understand these concepts, this is where that list is. And so... Both of Ryan's books, Success Mindsets and The Elevated Leader, are on this list. And Ryan, thank you like just so much for writing this book. I mean, it is a phenomenal read. I learned so much, and I'm just so encouraged by this journey I'm on to develop vertically, regardless of my calling, regardless of my situation. But And this that truly is discipleship. That truly is the, the doctrine that, that Christ has developed and inviting us into. So thank you for doing this. Well, thank you for reading it. And I would say that I also enjoyed as you were reading it, I would get a text from Kurt like every other day, like, <laughs> you know, some comment or question or whatever. So it was, it was fun to uh, see a part of your journey going through the book. So That's right. They, I've got the coolest into it. situation ever that I get to read these fantastic books. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to just shoot a text over the author and ask him a question or give him an insight or give a perspective. So yeah, that was a lot of fun. So what's coming up next for you, Ryan? You got another book uh, brewing? Yes. Um, I'm not sure when I'll get around to it. There's, but I, uh, yeah. So it'll be a little bit more on focusing on elevating executives and uh, leaders at that executive level, helping them to go from being kind of the doer to actually being a leader. So uh, I'm heading in that direction. Next step is I've got sabbatical in the spring from the university. So I get to dive in more deeply to research, writing, and hopefully a book is a part of that. Awesome. Well, you know, I encourage people to check out The Elevated Leader and uh, read it, consume it, read it again, book club it with your ward council, whatever it takes, and and your, your life will be blessed by it for sure. So, Brian, the last question I have is just like, what final encouragement would you give, especially in the context of like, of this, the deep hidden struggles that maybe leaders experience? Like, they want to they get past it. They want to elevate. What final encouragement would you have for them? Yeah, l- let me give some encouragement to leaders themselves and then how they can influence others is the second point. So 
One is in terms of the journey of going inward, it's never easy. But what I've learned is it's easier than you think. That's been my experience. It was never easy, but and it still isn't easy, but it's generally easier than I think. And so I hope that you find your experience to be similar. I think in terms of us becoming a more positive influence on others is when we when we understand vertical development, understand these principles for ourselves, it puts us in a better position to help others to heal. And, you know, we've said this several times. I, I believe that the purpose of the gospel is to help us to heal. And when we enhance our capacity to help others heal, we are doing a better job of being kind of God's hands here on earth. And it's a, if we're church leaders, we're in a very unique position where we are given maybe by nature of that position, the opportunity to help others heal. So all of this is about improving our capacity to do that, ultimately, which is improving our capacity to be like our Savior, Jesus Christ. So hopefully we could better feel that healing ourselves and then better help others with that as well. That concludes this episode of the Leading Saints podcast. Hey, listen, would you do me a favor? You know, everybody's got that friend who listens to a ton of podcasts and maybe they aren't aware of Leading Saints. So would you mind taking the link of this episode or another episode of Leading Saints and just texting it to that friend? You know who I'm talking about, the friend who always listens to podcasts and is always telling you about different podcasts. Well, it's your turn to tell that friend about Leading Saints. So share it. We'd also love to hear from you. If you have any perspective or thought on this episode, you can go to leadingsaints.org and actually leave a comment on the episode page or reach out to us at leadingsaints.org slash contact. Remember, we'd love to have you at our next in-person retreat. Go check out the different options and locations where we're having these at leadingsaints.org slash gathering. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.